Man, I am thankful not only to be here again this week, but just thankful for um, the number of hands that help make this possible. And uh, it's a blessing to, to come and to, to hear the singing and the, the sound and um, all the servants that serve here. And again, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, a church doesn't do well by itself with one person doing everything, believe me. So, um, and you that have heard me sing, you know why I don't sing, and um, I'm not allowed in the sound booth for very good reasons as well. So, uh, it takes a lot, especially in this church, uh, for this pastor. Uh, as you know, or many of you know, we've been studying through the book of Malachi. And Malachi is an interesting prophet in many ways. Right it's interesting in some ways because it's not what I would have picked. Right up, straight confession. Over the last month, it's not what the, the book I would have said, oh, that's what we need to hear right now. But in studying it, I've been amazed at how God has used it and how timely the messages are. And you that know me, I'm not that good. I can't time those things out. But God's Word does, and the Holy Spirit does, and He lines things up from our music, and that's why I was alluding to the music. A lot of those songs today, you'll come out in uh, today's message. But Malachi was a prophet. His name actually means my messenger. So appropriately, he's a prophet. And prophets had a distinguished job in the Old Testament. They had a, a tough job in many ways. They were the speakers of truth. They also would give the news of the nation to turn around. Quite often, it was a negative message. Hey, you're going in the wrong direction. You're doing things wrong, and you need to change. And guess what? That's not a very popular thing to do. Um, do we, any of us like to be told we're doing something wrong? Right? No. What's our first reaction usually, right? At least for me. I know I, I kind of buck up and, yeah, and I'll either deflect or defend, right? Those are the typical things. It takes a little while before I can receive it. And again, if God's working in the heart, then I might change my course. But it's not my first reaction. And again, God's working on me and I'm a work in progress, as many of you know. Uh, if you don't believe that, talk to PJ. She's, uh, we celebrated 31 years of marriage, and so she knows that well. And so, um, but it is. It's, it's a work in progress. And, and receiving not only God's word, but receiving word from anyone takes patience, takes good listening, and then accepting it under God's word. And so Malachi has that. Um, the nation of Israel was going through kind of a transition. Um, they had come out of captivity, Right? This is after Nehemiah, they, they had built the walls and you know, things were fairly secure at that point. Ezra had helped build the temple, the temple was rebuilt, they were back to practicing worship by all means, but they weren't quite doing it right. And if you were with us in chapter 1, we, we learned that they weren't doing the right sacrifices. They weren't giving their best, right? The, the lambs, I called it bait and switch. They were, hey, we know we're supposed to give the best, the pure, the, 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 the best to God. But you know what? I got this one over here that I really don't want. Let me, let me get this one up. It's lame. It's weak. Probably not going to make it anyway, so let me sacrifice that. And again, not only the people were doing those things, but the priests were allowing it. And chapter 2 was pretty harsh criticism, right? They were pretty tough on the priests. It's like, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to lose your position. You're going to lose your spot. You're going to be in trouble if you continue on in this. And so Malachi is warning them. Then we learned that, that the marriages were going wrong as well. Right? They were marrying outside of the nation of Israel. They were divorcing very easily, very quickly. They weren't being faithful to the wife of their youth. And then if you were with us last week, chapter 3, we talked about giving. Right? 
that, that, that thing that we talk about in church and we kind of downplay it in many ways, but it is part of our worship. It's that giving and giving the first fruits, giving the best, tithing. And so we spent some time with that. And then at the end of chapter 3, which is actually where we're going to pick up today. Yes, I'm going to back into chapter 3, and we're going to do all of chapter 4. And for you that are worried about time, don't worry. Four, chapter 4 only has six verses. There we go. So it's not too long. But really, the chapter breaks in Malachi are not very good. Just going to say it. They're not, they're not very accurate. They're not good in that, at least in the NIV. Um, in the Hebrew text, it would all be written as one. And so that kind of gives you an idea. But if you have your Bibles, or it may be up on the screen in a few minutes, chapter 3, verse 16 is kind of where we're going to pick up the story a little bit. And again, I mentioned this last week, but I really didn't delve into it much. But verse 16 says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. And remember what's written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Stop right there, because that, that verse has a lot in it. It says, those who feared the Lord. Even in a nation that's gone awry, there was always a few that were doing it right, feared the Lord. Sometimes when we, we get the perspective and we look at the, the big thing, we, we see how far things are off, and we want to lump everything into one. In fact, I, I cringe sometimes when I hear those general terms and they put us all into one category. All churches, right? You all, you've heard that, right? Or, or all millennials. We, we, we divide people up by sections or nations. And again, when we do that, we can be, be wrong. It's not accurate at all. So even in this nation, even though they were doing a lot of things wrong, there were some that still feared the Lord and still were doing it right. And so they did what they should do. I think it's a good prescription for us as well, is they only talked with each other, but they talked to the Lord, right? And how do we do that? How do we talk to God? Prayer. Yes. There we go. See, this is why I need you. I need a lot of help because I don't have all these answers. I have to kind of pull it out even a little bit. And again, you that are here on a regular basis, you know that I, that helps with the interaction. That's not a rhetorical question, but prayer. And prayer is vital. And again, we have prayer focus to help us focus our prayers. And we, we pray a lot during our church service. And again, it's a model for what we should be doing throughout the week. Prayer should be natural. It should be part of the Christian walk. And prayer is two ways, right? Praying to God, asking and requesting and praising. But I, the, the part that we tend to fail on is the listening, Right? I think I mentioned this a while back. I actually did a challenge with some guys, and it was really challenging for me more than it was for anything else. But to as much as I talked to God, I spent time listening. Now, I can pray for five minutes, no problem. But boy, listening and trying to clear my head and just listen for God, it is really, that's work. That's tough. It's not natural. And so having that open line of communication and being able to, to not only pray to God, but also listen to what he has to say takes discipline, takes, takes practice, and I, I need to continue to work on that. Again, I tend to shoot off my prayers and then go about my business. And maybe I'm the only one, but I have a feeling there's probably others here that have that same struggle. But don't you know, aren't you glad, though, that God listens? And I mentioned this last week. I don't know exactly how this works. I really don't. I mean, God of the universe hears our prayers, and somehow he's moved by that. It works in
And we know that God doesn't change, right? It says that in Scripture. But God works it into his will, and he does. It's, his heart is moved with compassion. It's moved, and, and we align ourselves with his will. And things just go much better. And so that's what we have here all in this one verse. And again, it starts with that, that honest, open prayer, God listening. In fact, they, they, they took note of it. It says a scroll of remembrance. Is, they wanted to write it down. Hey, we prayed to God, and God listened to us. He gave us more grace. He gave us time. That's why journaling sometimes can be helpful to look back. All right, verse 16, verse 17 says, they will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I, make up, when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you again will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Again, you see why I wanted to kind of back into there because this is a lot in, in those couple of verses. And if you just read them real quick, you kind of miss out some of the, the nuance of what's going on here. But in Malachi, again, we've been going along and there's been all this criticism of what, how things have been doing, what they've been doing wrong. And there's in this group within that group that says, wait a minute, it's not fair. Why, why are they getting away with things? Why are the priests doing the wrong thing? And why are we going to get punished for it? Why is the... Uh, outside world prospering and we're struggling, right? Some of the same questions we ask today, right? Don't we, don't we really, if we really think about it, we have that same question, we, we wonder, wait a minute, I'm being faithful, I'm doing what you want me to do, God, how come this is such a struggle? How come this person over here seems to be doing really well and going about it easily and I'm, I'm really wrestling with this and I'm not, I'm, I don't seem to be going anywhere, I'm I'm struggling. And I love it. I love the perspective, though, that this verse kind of gives us. It says, I will take up my treasured possession. Do you know that as a believer, you're a treasured possession by God? Think about that for a minute. You are special to God right where you are. Despite everything that's going around you, you yourself. Man, when I read that, it's just kind of like, whew. again, that's, that's value. He's holding you. He's got you. He's got this. You're special. Again, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. It fits in so well. Again, I didn't time this out well, but, right? He's so special that he died on the cross for us. That's how special, that's how treasured you are. He says, I'll spare you, or spare them. Again, just as compassion. A man spares his son, right? Again, the family unit, father, son. There was the passing down, the passing the torch. You can look at it as a generational thing. Right? And that day, quite often, the, the family business would go to the oldest son and they would pass everything down and they would give the inheritance away and trust them. And of course, it was a society where the kids took care of the parents. So with that was a lot of trust because when you turn things over to your son, the expectation was he's going to take care of you. But if he wasn't a good son or good, then he might not do that. And you're left out in the cold. Um, there was no retirement plans, really, or that was a retirement plan, or no 401ks or uh, SS or anything. It was just relying upon your kids to take care of you. I laugh because my own kids, they, I have three kids, and so they kind of, they argue about who gets who, you know, and who's going to take care of who, and um, Rachel is burdened because she's the youngest. She has to take care of dad. I think Jared's got 
PJ and Chaz, I don't know what he's going to do. I think he's going to fund the rest of us. So, But um, I'm not sure that we're going to be divided, but that's their plan for us parents, you know, when, when they divide us up. Um, it's not a very good plan. I'm thankful I'm trusting with God with that. And uh, I love my daughter, but I'm not sure how well she's going to take care of her. So, no, I'm just kidding. But that's the, the, the mindset here. The, the, the next generation is going to help out the older generation. They're going to take care of them. And again, it's the, the same way that God's going to take care of his righteous. He's going to watch over. He's going to protect them. Again, that treasured possession. He's going to hold on to them. And there's a distinction. There's a distinction between, again, the righteous. We're talking about righteous and, and the wicked. But again, believers and non-believers. It's the same thing. And that's where that comes from. And I always say that frustration comes sometimes when we expect unbelievers to act like Christians, right? I fall for that trap every once in a while. I think that the world's going to respond the same way that the Bible says or the way that we as them. It's not not believers believe. And you know what? They can't. It's not in them. It's not, not possible. But we expect it, right? We, we kind of expect that. And again, we, we treat unbelievers a certain way and we kind of expect a response and we're disappointed because we don't get it. But yet, who's really watching over us? What's the reason for why we do it, right? Because God. God's the one that's going to make that determination. Now, this comes with a, with a bite in, in many ways. There's, there's judgment in that. Who's the believer and who's the non-believer? And we've talked about this before, right? Who's the perfect judge? Not me. No, nope. God. God sees the heart. He knows. He knows our motivations. He knows what we truly believe, what we don't believe, where we're kidding ourselves. He knows if we are righteous or we're wicked. He has that perspective. And again, in many ways, if we read this in the right context, it takes the burden off of us. Right? I don't have to change all the wickedness in the world. It's not my responsibility. I don't have to fix everyone else, right? I can't change hearts anyways, and so I don't need to. Certainly, pray for those that are, are wicked. Pray for change. Pray for those things. But I don't, that's not my responsibility beyond that, to, to make changes of hearts. And so there's freedom in that. All right, next perspective. Again, shifting here a little bit, like I said, chapter 4, but you kind of need that background because now it'll make sense with 4 especially verses 1 and 2 here. It says, Surely the day is coming. Again, that day that's coming is what we were just talking about, that day when he's going to make the distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous, when he makes that judgment. So, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that, that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Again, fire in the Old Testament quite often was judgment. That's the, re, the refining, right? So a lot of times they would burn off the impurities. That's when you make the separation. Here it goes one step further. They're talking about the branch and the root. It means the whole thing is consumed. Wickedness will be gone. Failed to mention one of the other things the prophets do is they predict the future, right? I mentioned this before, right? They, they talk about something that's going to happen in the near future, Something that's going to happen in a little while, and then here, we're going all the way to the end. We're going all the way to Revelation. 
It's interesting, Malachi is a little bit different because it actually has some prophecy for right now in Israel's time. It predicts Jesus' judgment. We talked about John the Baptist, and then it goes all the way to the end, that final judgment. Those who are saved and those who are unsaved. So it's a little unique in that, that it has it all in this short little, this little book. But that consuming fire, it takes it all, it, it, it eliminates it. But, we go with fear and trembling if we didn't have that word there, verse 2, but. But's one of those transition words, and it kind of sets everything, either it's a total opposite, or it negates whatever's before. And again, it's not negating what's before, but it sets it apart. You don't have to worry here. It says, but for you who reserve my name, revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. I love the, the imagery here, right? There's some, some picture words he does for us. I think of a, a, a morning after it's been dark, maybe even like this morning when it's raining, and you go out and that sun's coming down, right? And those rays hit you and you feel that little bit of warmth, right? It's kind of the picture here. Or maybe after winter you get that first day that gets above freezing even. And it feels so good. Of course, now that it was 32 out, we'd be like, oh, it's cold. Our bodies adjust. But that's the picture here. It's that sun of righteousness. It streams down here. You know, in the clouds, when you see those, those long rays coming down, it's kind of the imagery here. But for you who reserve, revere my name, again, you that are believers comes with a blessing. You're going to be free. Now, I don't know how many of you have been around the farm, but calves, if you've ever watched them out in the field, especially if they're out grazing, Every once in a while, a calf, for no reason at all, will start kicking up their heels, right? And it doesn't make any sense in some ways, but all of a sudden, it just starts playing around, kicking up the heels. A lot of animals will do that, but, but calves are one of those. And it just, for no reason, just breaks out into joyous play. And it's kind of the same. It's been released now. It's freedom. It's realized that it's free. It's not confined by anything. As believers, after that day of judgment, we're going to be free of the wickedness around us, the sin that's around us. You see how that lines up now? See how that, what, a, what a glorious time. That's that hope for the future. Things are going to be different. It's going to be a glorious day. No more sin, no more death, no more wickedness. Man, I, I like to think about that because it, right now, it, sometimes it doesn't seem that that's ever going to happen. We lose that perspective. And certainly Malachi doesn't see it in his time. In fact, they're about ready to go into 400 years of nothingness. It's kind of a flat line in the Bible history. But God's given it to him. Hey, there's that future hope. And again, we don't know when that's going to be. It could be tomorrow. It could be the next day. It could be another thousand years. We don't know. But that day is coming. And we'll be like that calf. We'll be free. Free of all that bondage, we'll be released from all the sin that's around us. I love that verse. It's a great reminder, good perspective, good perspective for the believer, right? I always say you need to keep one eye on your world and what's going on because we do have an influence. God cares what we do now, but also keeping one eye on heaven. Don't forget where we're going, our destination. All right, told you there was a lot here in the few verses, and I want to get through this. So verse 3. It says, then you will trample down the wicked. 
They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day. When I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Right? So again, he's referring to that day. He's the one that's going to take care of the wicked. That's what I talked about earlier, that that's not our responsibility. We have to be so careful. I watch so many believers carrying burdens that are not meant for them to carry. And you get weighted down. You get overwhelmed. It's like, it's, it's too big. Yeah, it is too big for us, but not for our God. Talked about that a little bit earlier. And so God's promising that day. It's going to take care of it. The fire is going to take care of all that wickedness. And then at the end here, Malachi kind of gives us a, a couple of ascending notes. It's interesting. It's uh, like, hey, while, while we're waiting for that to come, here's a couple of things that you need to be doing. Don't forget these things. Remember, it says, remember the law of my servant Moses and the decrees and the laws I gave to him at Hoburn for all Israel. All right? Like I said, that perspective, yes, heaven's to come. It doesn't mean that we can just, ah, oh, it doesn't matter what, what I do. To, to no, it still matters, right? It still matters. And the reference back to law is to, to obey his commands. We still have a responsibility to follow God's word, to follow what he's put down, right? It's not just, oop, I'm all set, I'm, I'm saved, and now I can just go back and live like the world. No, there's a responsibility. We talk about sanctification and growing in our faith and Again, that's part of that law. So it doesn't replace that. Doesn't remember, get back to that. A warning to go back. Next verse is kind of interesting. Verse 5 says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord of the Lord that comes. Whoops. Remember, we talked about a little bit, right? We talked about uh, the Elijah earlier in Malachi, but he was talking about John the Baptist. Right? Interesting enough, when, if you read the Gospels, right, the Gospels, some of the people asked, is this Elijah? Right? They probably knew what Scripture said in Malachi. And they were saying, oh, well, John the Baptist fit the bill in many ways. And many scholars believe, and I would think the same, things would have turned out much differently if they would have received Jesus as the Messiah. Right? Things would have changed drastically. We know now because we're looking back at that history. But also remember, this is Malachi. First time he's speaking about John the Baptist. That's 400 plus years out front. Here, though, we're talking, again, to the end of the book. You that like prophecy, this is one of those scriptures that points to that future. So there's another prophet, most likely not Elijah himself, but it may be, or like Elijah, that's yet to come. That's just the one that's referred to here. So this isn't John the Baptist. That takes place earlier, we read. This is the next section. Again, before that great and dreadful day, that before that judgment, right? Because we haven't had that judgment yet. We still have wickedness around us. We know that, and this is not heaven. So we have all the, the factors now. Looking back, we can tell this is yet to come. This is still out there. So that warning, he's going to send us. So we could be looking for that next prophet. Verse 6, let's wrap this up. It says, he, being God, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. It's an interesting promise here at the end, right? God will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Hmm. It's an interesting thought. For, for me as a dad, I, I wrestled with that a little bit. And 
And, and it's like, well, why would he have to turn my heart toward my kids, right? I love my kids. I, they, they kind of, well, you know what? It's not so always, is it? Right? Dads don't always, our earthly dads don't always do it right. Our hearts are not always in line. And you that raise kids, you know the hearts of the kids don't always line up with their father either. Right? You can do everything right and kids don't always turn out the way we would like or the way that we think. Our heart's not lined up. You know, as adult children, that's a, that's a hard thing to, to grasp many times. Right? We can beat ourselves up as parents because we say, you know, if I'd have done things maybe differently, maybe they would have come to know the Lord. Minds, right? Or they'd be still following after the Lord. Do you know what? That reminds me too that we all have to come to God as individuals. And certainly it's important as parents to raise our kids that way. But at a certain point, they've got to make that decision for themselves. It's no longer my responsibility. Still have influence, but they're not under our roof anymore. They're, they've been released. So it's an interesting thing here about this relationship. But if it doesn't take place, it says, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Many Christians believe that's why it's so important for the family unit to, to stay intact, to, to stay together, to continue to that and bless that and foster that. And certainly here at Pointway, we, we, we encourage that and bless that and, and again, teach through those things. But that's important. It's important to God, those relationships. Again, certainly not only fathers here, mothers, it's incorporating, but the way the text is written, it says fathers, but it, mothers would have the same responsibility in that. Again, the family as a whole. And the kids would honor and respect their parents. Comes on a little bit later. I think Jesus teaches that somewhere down the line. Right? That's all in there. And so that ends Malachi. He, he kind of leaves us with the end, and the end of it is being the future, but he kind of drops us off here a little bit. And we know, because we can look back, that Israel doesn't really turn at that point. Again, there's an absence of Scripture. There's 400 years where there's nothing written that we have, not in our Bibles. Matthew, I mean, again, in my Bible, it's one page flip, but really it's, it's 400 years flip. But we do know when Jesus arrives on the scene that the temple is still going, sacrifice is still going, but we also know that they're still not doing it with the right heart or right, with the right attitude. So by all accounts, there's been not a lot of change. Malachi's influence, at least from the outside, wasn't very much. Again, that's why we needed, they needed and we need our Savior. They needed the Messiah. They needed the help. They weren't changing. And again, the warning is still there, and it's still yet to come, is that impending day of judgment. So with all that this morning, do you have hope? Do you have hope as believers? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back again to, to judge? Yeah. And how important is prayer? Very important, yeah. Not only praying to God, but listening from God. And certainly we see our families important. And also keeping things in perspective, right? 
And hopefully this week you'll get an opportunity to put that into practice. Maybe when things are getting tough or you're getting bogged down, remember there's hope in the future with Christ. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it gives us, Lord. Lord, that it's not on us, but it's on you. That you have the answers, Lord, for this world. That you have the answer and the judgment for those who are wicked. Lord, help us not to get bogged down. Help us to seek after you with even greater passion, with even greater hope for that future day. Lord, for those of us who are still parenting and still in that struggle of of dealing with our children and that part of life, Lord, that we would continue to put them first before you. Help us in those relationships. Give us the heart to love you first, our spouse, and then our kids, Lord, and that we keep that order. And Lord, I just thank you so much for this time, this sweetness, and thank you for your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.